It's Good Canada, I'm Peyton Smith, and this is The Stew. With Canada's food system continuing to grow and innovate, understanding what information is credible, who to trust, and how to feed ourselves and our families can be incredibly confusing. That's why I'm here, to share relevant information on food topics you care about most with the help of experts. Matt Hamill is the owner-operator at Red Shed Malting. Red Shed Malting is a small-scale malt house dedicated to making more beer styles possible out of only Canadian ingredients. They are set up on a fourth-generation family farm, grain farm in central Alberta. Matt received a Nuffield Scholarship in 2017 to study best practices in the barley value chain. His studies brought him to New Zealand, Australia, Brazil, and the U.S. He's been a presenter at the Master Brewers Association Conference, the Artisan Distillers Conference, Farm Tech, the Prairie Cereal Summit, AgSmart, the Agriculture Excellence Conference, and the Royal Agriculture Society of the Commonwealth Conference. If you could please introduce yourself, where you're talking to us from, and then share your pronouns. You bet. Uh, I am Matthew Hamill from Red Shed Malting. Um, our malt house is just outside of Penhold, Alberta. And I go by he, him. Perfect. Thanks, Matt. And we're so glad to have you on today. And we're here to talk about beer and whiskey. Okay. Okay. I may have jumped the gun a little bit. We're actually here to discuss malt roasting and how that fits into the production of those beverages. And prior to doing research for this episode, I must admit, I didn't even know that malt roasting was a thing, much less what it is and what it means in our Canadian food system. So that's why we have you, the expert. And to jump right in, the big one, what is malt? All right, absolutely. That's a, that's a great question and certainly one that we, we get often um, or that is uh, sometimes confused out there. Um, <clears throat> so at, it is, at its simplest, um, malt is barley that's been processed into a usable ingredient for brewers and distillers. Okay, and then the next big step in our understanding of what you do, what is malt roasting? Okay, so that's another great question. So first of all, I'd like to kind of break it down into base malt and specialty malt. Um, so base malt, I typically refer to as um, providing the sugar that gets fermented into alcohol. And that'll often be about 80 to 90% of um, the malt that goes into a beer recipe. The other 10 to 20% is going to be some sort of specialty malt. And that specialty malt is what's going to add different uh, flavors, colors, and aromas. Um, now, a subset of that specialty malt is roasted malt. Um, and so roasted malt, we're taking uh, a lot more, a lot higher temperatures and creating more exotic flavors. So just by changing the time and temperature in the malt roaster, uh, we can make it taste like breakfast cereal, uh, or some home baking, we can give it some nutty flavors, we can give it chocolate flavors, coffee cool. flavors, uh, all kinds of cool stuff. Amazing. Okay, so if this if the system starts with the malt itself, like do you use the same type of malt or barley for beverages or is it like a certain type of grown product that you start with? Um, so there are different varieties of barley that are more likely to give you malt specifications. Um, and so the Canadian Malt Barley Technical Center, they'll issue a list of approved uh, or recommended uh, malt varieties. Um, and that gives growers an indication of what varieties are being demanded by um, 
the 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 maltsters and the brewers and the distillers. Um, so a farmer grows a a malt variety, um, and if the weather cooperates, then mm-hmm. at the end they're going to have a grain uh, that has a high germination rate, rate, um, the right protein levels, um, and a few other uh, key specifications. Um, and and then we're happy, and everyone makes malt and beer and spirits, and mm-hmm. and good things happen. Um, if the weather doesn't cooperate, uh, let's say there's some heat stress and the protein uh, bumps up, um, then that will be sold into the feed market instead. So I think in Canada, it's only like 20% of the barley grown um, will make it as, as malt spec, and the rest will go into the livestock sector. Um, and so that's why um, Alberta has lots of uh, great big maltsters and the livestock industry. Um, so they're very complimentary. That's super interesting. So prior to our conversation, we chatted about blockchain technology and tracing ingredients to the farm. Can you explain what that means and why that would be beneficial to Canadians? Yeah, so I think blockchain is something that we're going to see more and more in um, the food system. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a great way to build trust into the supply chain. So what the, the technology does is it's, um, well, there's a few facets to it, um, but it can be used uh, for digital contracts. Um, so a, a farmer could work with a maltster, and if the farmer grows something and it meets uh, certain specifications, um, then there will be parameters set up where there's a contract and they, they hit the parameters and the sale occurs automatically. Um, and then you can tack on to that that there might be a brewer on the other end who says, okay, if that farmer grows it, and the maltster does a good job malting it and hits mm-hmm. his specs, then I want to buy that. Yeah, so just a, a great way to, to just kind of keep building trust. And so I uh, we, we've done it with um, beer, um, tracing it from our farm to the malt house to the brewery. Um, but I think like I see all kinds of applications for this. Uh, one that jumps out is uh, coffee. So you see lots of um, ethical ethically sourced beans Mm-hmm. Um, but lots of times they're just paying for uh, a logo that's on there and there might not be a lot of audit in behind it. Right. Uh, with blockchain, you could have digital contracts where the consumer might be able to see exactly what the uh, coffee roaster paid the farmer um, for that lot of beans and where it was grown and the specifications on it. That would be super interesting. So, okay, how does that work? Like on the beer can, is there a QR code that pops up and I can scan it or how do I get access to that information? On, on the ones that we did, yeah, there was a QR code. Okay. Um, and that was uh, before QR codes were cool. So people had to <laughs> probably like, download an app and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're so uh, widespread now. Um, so super easy. Yeah. So you can use a QR code. Um, I've seen uh, RFID tags uh, that you can use as well. So you just kind of hover your phone over it and uh, it'll take you um, to the website. Um, so there, there's a few different options. Um, but yeah, just making the information accessible to the end consumer. Absolutely. Okay. And it's great. Like consumers trust beer. Um, (laughs) so that's why it's just such a good application for it. Um, and, and they trust beer and they'll read the back of a beer can. Um, so, uh, I, I like doing it with beer, um, making it a technology that consumers can recognize and understand some of the key benefits to it. Uh, and then once they see that on a package of pork chops, 
they'll they'll have that confidence in it already. They'll understand everything, um, and and they'll just you know go look at the farm and make sure that's something that uh, aligns with their values and and be happy with their pork chops. Yeah, I mean that example is perfect because I know that now this probably hurts you because you probably want me to pick my beer based off you know how it was produced and the values of the company and things like that. But when I walk into the LCBO the Ontario equivalent, um, I pick it based on the cute beer can. So I fully understand that Canadians are reading beer cans and getting used to that technology. So that makes total sense because when I go to the grocery store, I don't care what the pork chop packaging looks like. But if I get used to that technology, that makes total sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it, it sounds like your company is extremely innovative in the beverages space. And what has this sector looked like in the past? And how do you think these new technologies and systems fit into the future of production for beer and whiskey beverages? Yeah, so you know, not not too long ago, before this craft beer revolution, um, both uh, brewing and malting um, was done um, by large multinationals. So okay. you know, a long time ago, there was lots of small guys, um, but then they started consolidating, 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 getting bought out, um, and in the end, you just have a few super huge multinational companies that are making uh, a really commoditized uh, product. Right. Um, and and so now, um, I really think that the the future is is a lot more local, um, mm -hmm. and that's what the craft beer revolution has been all about: is making uh, a wider variety of products um, and having them done locally. Um, so you know, a local brewer using local ingredients. Serving mm -hmm. local community, tax dollars just keep spinning around there. Um, consumers can get the info on you know where this uh, is coming from, um, and it's you know easy to see the benefits of you know okay this brewery down the street is uh, helping out with the fundraiser that's helping out our kids or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, so super interesting, absolutely. And do you only support and supply to local companies? Um, so we we certainly grew our company just in the Alberta market, um, mm -hmm. and still uh, the majority of our sales are in Alberta. Um, mm -hmm. But we are shipping malt into BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and quite a bit of malt going up uh, into the Yukon as well. Oh, interesting. Nothing in Ontario. I ask primarily just for me because that's where I am based. <laughs> um, so we we do have one. Um, Left Field Brewery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they do a, a stout using our product. And that's like, the stout is just the, the perfect example. We got into this business to make more beer styles possible out of only Canadian ingredients. Right. Um, we had the first malt roaster in Canada. So if you want to do a beer style like a stout that's darker, mm -hmm. uh, then, then you had to use some of our product. Cool. Yeah, and just going back to your previous point, I think I know anyways that when I go to the liquor store and I pick up a can of beer or whatever, and it looks craft beerish. It has cool labels on it and whatnot, but it actually might be owned by a big organization. And I think that um, consumers are looking for products that are actually not just look like they're from a local company, but actually are from a local company. So that's definitely a movement that we see in our research too. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's super interesting and it's something that uh, the industry kind of struggles with. Um, there isn't uh, a definition behind the word craft, um, yeah. and so it's it's a word, a term that the multinationals can 
latch on to and use in their marketing as well. Um, and, and so consumers and producers and everyone, they're trying to kind of get the right worry and the right lexicon to, to align values with um, the, the products. So mm -hmm. maybe, it may, maybe it's moving towards uh, independently owned um, our local ingredients, um, something along those lines. Yeah, and so I don't even know if we dove into this in the beginning. How did you get into this? Like, where did this come from? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> so way, you know, I guess uh, nine years ago or so, um, my brother was doing uh, some home brewing. Mm -hmm. And well, we were, I guess, going back even further than that, we're a fourth generation uh, family grain farm. Okay. Um, and so we've been growing barley, wheat, canola, oats, peas uh, for generations here. Uh, my brother got into doing some home brewing and we got interested and eventually obsessed with getting some of dad's uh, <laughs> products into Joe's beer. Yeah. Um, at the same time, um, Olds College uh, introduced the Craft Brewers uh, certification program. And Alberta had gotten rid of some minimum production laws, uh, mm -hmm. which made it a lot easier to open a craft brewery. Right. And Alberta was way behind um, kind of the rest of the country. So when we got started, I think there was 19 uh, brewers in the province, whereas BC already probably had over 100 and mm -hmm. Ontario probably had over 100. Um, so we just saw that there was an, an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, we we did a tour of uh, some breweries and some malt houses, and we realized that no one was doing the, the malt roasting. Um, mm -hmm. And that was super important to have more beer styles possible out of only Canadian ingredients. Right. So we saw the opportunity and we went for it. Cool. And how long ago was that? Uh, eight years ago. Cool. I'm sure time flies. It sure does, yeah. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned Ontario and BC were kind of ahead of where you guys were, but that builds me to my next question. So I see new breweries and distilleries popping up like every month almost. And I think it's fantastic. Small business owners get to put their own flair on a growing industry. But do you think that the public will continue to support local production companies? And is this the better option for Canadians? Yeah, I think, um, I, I think the can's been opened, right? Like, so people mm -hmm. have experienced better choice, better quality, um, and, and they're seeing that the impact that these craft brewers and distillers are having in their communities. Um, so I really don't think that there's going to be um, any any going back. Um, it's just just too, too good. <laughs> um, so, but uh, I, I think when a lot of these craft breweries opened, um, they would say drink local mm -hmm. um, and that was a, a great slogan because they were the closest to, you know, their 10,000 people or whatever. Right. Uh, but since that time, there might have been two or three breweries that had opened up closer to some of their target market. Mm -hmm. um, so what's the next level of local? It's going to be more than just a geographical thing, right? So uh, and, and that's where we're going to start to see some of those consumer values. Um, and some of the business ethics uh, kind of when those line up, that's where uh, we're, we're going to see the movement. So um, using local ingredients, uh, making sure that they're supporting the community um, and, and supporting the right causes. 
Yeah, and I also think with all the infrastructure that, you know, transportation and advancements in that area, we talk about it at CCFI, local being Canadian almost at this point, um, and not just, you know, your little town. And that's perfect to support um, the people and your community. Um, but as those options become greater, I do think that local will slowly start to mean Canadian fully. Yeah, and I I would very much like to see that. Um, uh, there are some interprovincial trade barriers with beer right. um, that uh, that are kind of impeding that a little bit. Um, so we might lag behind um, some of the other food products, uh, but uh, I certainly hope to see some of those um, barriers broken down and um, beer being shared across the country. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask, do you think that there's going to be a complete saturation of craft breweries soon? Like, do you think there's too many? Um, I'm, so I'm just curious. It, it's, it's certainly getting harder to, to open uh, a new uh, brewery or distillery. Um, so I think you'll, you'll still see some, op some opening, um, but you're going to start seeing some closing. Uh, so you might see the, the total number of breweries start to level off a little bit. You'll mm -hmm. see some changes in ownership and everything. Um, but there's, there's still, uh, like I went to, um, two grand openings last week, um, in Calgary and I got a couple of brand new breweries in Edmonton that I want to go see this week. Um, so there's there's new stuff coming onto the market. Um, and it's just, you have to, the, the table stakes of being a good brewery have gone up a little bit. Right. Um, when, we, when we first started, there was some breweries in Calgary that were able to open up with a kind of a shoestring budget. Um, and they saw lots of growth early and people got behind them and they had lots of success um, and it's gone quite well. Um, I think the minimum budget that you would have to have to open a brewery in Calgary now has gone up because people are expecting, you know, great beers uh, from day one. They might be expecting, you know, a full menu with uh, a good chef um, and, you know, uh, a large building with a good patio. So it's just kind of the the table stakes have gotten a little bit higher, and you see that in in some of the beer destinations like uh, Portland as well, um, for sure. So I have to share. I am in Florida right now uh, for a couple of weeks, and I have been dying because everything, which is not like in Ontario, we can't buy like beer at gas stations and things in Ontario, um, but in Florida and the U.S., you absolutely can, of course, right? And I've been struggling because when you go to the gas station, it's you know Bud Light and Miller Lite and all of those things, which are great if that's your choice, but I quite like craft beer, so I've been struggling. So uh, we ventured out with a friend the other day and we did two uh, craft breweries. And just speaking about the expectations, it was so funny because the first one, the atmosphere was adorable. Like it was just cute, the beer was good, everything just gelled well. And then the next one we went to, the outside, it was like a box store and I get it. Sometimes that's cheaper for people to be able to open to. And the beer was great. The owner was fantastic, but it didn't have that cute feel that I want from a craft brewery. And it was just interesting. We had con like who I was with, we had conversations about kind of what we expect when we go to these places. It's kind of like an experience more than anything else. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, like I've, I've already seen um, breweries that make good beer 
close. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's everything now. You got to have the total package. It's got to be the beer, the experience, the ambiance. Um, it's got to feel like a welcoming space. Yeah. And and the brewery, like, I feel consumers need to feel that there's um, shared values and stuff. Yeah, I know. Like some of the most popular ones around me in Ontario. Like you're allowed to bring your dogs and like little things like that make a huge difference, right? Because it's just accessible to go after a walk on Saturday afternoon or something like that and meet buddies. Um, and especially with generally our generation pushing off kids a little bit and replacing them with dogs just just for the time being. Um, I do think that's super important. And it's kind of fun just to see um, the adaptions that they're making to bring people in. 100%. Um, one of those ones um, that just opened up uh, in Edmonton that I Kind of reference there uh asymmetrical brewing mm-hmm. um one of their differentiating factors is you know they got a whole kids play space yeah so they want to make it easy for families to come in and you know kill a few hours and know that their kids are gonna have fun as well absolutely okay a fun question what is your favorite way to enjoy your malt roasting product so like is there a certain type of beer or a certain brand of beer that you want to shout out how do you like to enjoy it um well hard to pick i know hard to pick (laughs) yeah it's definitely hard to pick um so maybe just kind of running across a few uh breweries in each of the provinces that we're kind of dealing with yeah um out in out in bc uh whistleboy brewing has been a, a good supporter um here in alberta blind man has been pretty awesome um in saskatchewan nicomas uh they got a brown ale that's pretty killer um and manitoba we got uh torque brewing uh you go up north winterlong brewing is uh is absolutely excellent beer um and then a couple of distilleries uh bridgeland uh distillery and dione distilling cool well i hope to see even more um of your melting product coming into ontario hopefully pretty soon and uh kind of more in our craft breweries too um so a final question that i ask all guests on the stew This can be, but it doesn't have to be related to our topic today. If you could have the ears of every Canadian, what do you wish they knew about the Canadian food system? Um, So I've I've been quoted in the past uh, a little bit tongue in cheek, but uh, drinking local craft beer can save the world. Um, (laughs) I love it. uh, Barley is, it's an important rotational crop, especially here in Alberta. Um, and craft beer uses three to seven times more barley to make the same amount of beer. Okay. Um, and so it's just helping farmers have longer crop rotations, which is better for the soil, cuts mm-hmm. down on disease. Um, and then we've we've talked a lot about how the local craft breweries are supporting the local economy um, and building better communities. Um, so it's drink drink local craft beer. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time, Matt. Hopefully our listeners have a better understanding of malt roasting and then how that fits into the big beverage industry and how that is important to the Canadian food system. So thank you and have a great day. Thanks for having me, Peyton. Take care. That was a great conversation with Matt. It's fantastic to hear how craft breweries are supporting our local communities. And by purchasing craft beer, we're supporting literally our neighbors. It was also super interesting to understand that producing craft beer takes significantly more barley, which in tune helps our Canadian farmers because they have to produce a steady supply of it, which helps with their crop rotations and therefore our soil health. After listening to the episode, make sure to 
check out the breweries that Matt mentioned where his products are sold. Tune in next week for an episode of The Stew. Thank you.